Welcome in to another episode of the Way Too Loud Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Noonan. Joining me tonight was only going to be Richard Powell. The other three, John has the LSAT on Saturday, and Chip and Charles are at the beach on a family vacation that Richard and I were not invited to. My mother and his mother didn't even invite us down there with all the aunts and Chip and Charles. It was a sad, sad day. You would think with our history they would invite us, right? That's the thing. It's unbelievable. We just get kicked to the curb and just yep. family, family traditions down the drain. And it is just, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But <laughs> I said record a podcast. That's what we're going to do. Exactly right. And it will be a lot better without Chip and Charles because they're a bunch of beach bums and don't care about the commitment, the weekly commitment of the Way Too Loud podcast. We're here for you listeners and you always will remember that. So for Amen. this week, so yeah, for this week, we're going to go into the NFL and have a deep dive of the last two weeks we have missed. We aren't really going to talk much college football. Richard's going to talk a little Florida State off the top. But as the listeners know, Florida State and Tennessee, as our two teams, are utter trash. So it's really not fun to talk about it, even though Tennessee got their first big win of the season against the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. So we will mainly focus on the NFL and see kind of what's happened this far. Honestly, it's more entertaining, in my opinion, at least to this point, than college football has been because not the non-conference slate, you know, because they, they schedule it so far out. The non-conference slate was just kind of weak this year. And so there weren't really any, like, highlight premier matchups between the team between two teams. Um, this week is Notre Dame-Georgia, so that'll be a, a decent matchup. But we also get some um, conference games that will uh, have, have a little bit more to talk about outside of, like, you know, just dreading watching our teams play. And then when Florida – or, sorry, when Tennessee beats Florida, we can come back on this podcast and uh, I'll talk about it. Hopefully all the cousins can make it. <laughs> you know, because it's just an easy, easy win right there. Yeah. Uh, Florida's down to their second string, man, so you got a chance, right? You have to think so. That's the thing. Trask is trash, and that's all I can say about that. So <laughs> the, the second string will come through and beat Tennessee yet again. But we will start with a little bit of Florida State defensive coordinator talk. Is that what we're looking at, Richard? First of all, how are you? How's it going? Oh, it's great. Personal life is great. I'm, in, I'm enjoying the new job. I've been working at uh, – on a new on a new diet, new kind of exercise program, starting to feel a little, little uh, better about myself and all that jazz. Can't really say the same about my sports life because Florida State's not good. Bucks aren't good. I mean, Golden State, but I'm not really a Golden State fan. I'm more of a Curry fan. Uh, it's just so, you know, I, I try not to think about it too much. So I'm I'm good, but I'm bad. So but I try not to think about it. <laughs> exactly. Your personal life means a lot more than uh, sports life. So that's good that Ab- everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Worked but out. the sports life, sports life helps. You know, I, I like to enjoy the weekends and when, when you watch three quarters of good football and to be, you know, infuriated by the fourth quarter, you know, it, it's not that fun. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, I don't look forward to Saturdays anymore. I have to gamble, and that's the only way I can enjoy Saturdays because I can't stand watching the balls. Yep. And I have to have investment in the game some way. That's all I got for college, or for my Saturdays. But Sunday's different. You have fancy football, and 
that's something to take a little bit of uh, the attention. <laughs> Not for <on>. me. <laughs> well, there you go. So, <laughs> it just yeah, it's 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 a mess. I'm at this stage with Florida State where I like I talk myself into saying like we're not a good team just deal with it and then friday nights i'm like well maybe tomorrow is the day we turn it around so i build up that like hope and expectation for saturday and then i watch and then i'm just back to the same cycle on monday of just like why are we so bad so it's because it's 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 not a common place for us florida state fans to be in because we're we went from Bobby Bowden to Jimbo Fisher, very spoiled, to being you know in rebuild mode, and we haven't been in rebuild mode since early '80s. So that was before me. So I don't even know what a rebuild is as far as college football goes. But I can help you out on that uh, if you need any uh, guidance. <laughs> we're yeah. rebuilding the rebuild. But uh, well, that, that's the positives of living in Tennessee. You kind of get the from the outside, you get to watch a program trying to start from scratch and get their way back up into, you know, national headlines. And every Tennessee's two years. Been, yeah, and it's like I hope to God Florida State doesn't get that way. And now <laughs> here we are. <laughs> here, here. Tell us a little bit about the defensive coordinator and the defensive changes that you said they might be making. Yeah. So, okay. First off, I want, I want to talk about um, the, the. There was a slight change in defensive strategy over the summer. We switched from a four-three defense base to a three-four, and Harlan Barnett was the co-defensive coordinator under D'Antonio up at Michigan State. And they're known for running a four-man front defense with shallow zone coverage. And the only way you can really beat them is by strong, accurate throws that go over 20 yards. That's the only way you can beat Michigan State because Michigan State constantly has a very good defense. So when we brought on Harlan Barnett, that's what we expected. It's not really what we got last year. And now we're switching to a 3-4 this year. So everyone's kind of scratching their heads like, what the heck's going on? Now, here's the thing. Jim Levitt, who used to be South Florida's head coach when they were number two in the country and had a very that, good yeah. defense. Yeah, he was. He has been the defensive coordinator for Willie Taggart at two of his places. I think it was Western Kentucky and Oregon. And while at Oregon, he, he took Oregon from like, you know, the 91st overall defense to – 35th or something like that so he he's a very strong defensive coordinator well he's a 3-4 defense guy so that that's his defense so the rumor is we were making the switch because we were planning on bringing Jim Levitt onto the staff well Wednesday I think it was of this past week before the Virginia game Jim Levitt agrees to come on to the staff as a quote-unquote analyst you know that thing that all these college programs are starting to do these days with bringing on analysts that's great it's like the old the old timer right right so he's been and people are thinking he's he's now like the pseudo defensive coordinator he's he's there to watch film and give notes to the defensive staff on what he thinks they need to be doing better 
But this is also kind of pulling out the rug from Harlan Barnett saying like, you're not getting it done and we need a change on defense. Because here's the thing, we brought in Kendall Bryles for the offense. Right, right. Controversial hire. It was a little bit of a controversial hire because of what happened at Baylor. And it's up in the air whether or not he was actually involved or knew about what was going on. But the fact is, he knows how to run offenses. And he's taken Florida State, <laughs> who couldn't you know, gain 20 yards last year, and he's taken them now. And in the advanced metric rankings, he's, he's gotten Florida State up to 30 – or not 31st, uh, 13th in the country in the ranking for uh, all offenses. So he's taken us from like, you know, a 90s ranked offense to 13th through three games, obviously. But that's still a big deal. Like that that's huge. The issue is our defense is 92nd. <laughs> so, you know, you know, the Florida State of the 90s and under Jimbo was known for having these defenses where good luck scoring. You're you're probably not going to get the 20 points. And it, and if you do, it's cuz you had like two or three big plays. Well, now it's these these it happened against Boise State and it happened this past weekend against Virginia where they just they this defense I don't know what we're doing we're just sitting back and letting people nickel and dime their way down the field to get themselves back into the games and people are saying like well the offense is going too fast the the offense needs to slow down and and chew out the clock so that the defense can rest and it's like that's not the issue the issue is the defense can't make stops and get off the field themselves. And I, I think that's where bringing in Jim Levitt is kind of letting Harlan Barnett know, you know, you, you better turn this around real quick, like like by the bye week before Clemson quick, or you might be out of a job, and then we will take uh, Levitt from his analyst position and promote him to the coordinator position. I mean, and that's just the word that's going around from all the Florida State podcasts and articles that I've been reading through Tomahawk Nation and Nullcast. It should be that's interesting how they try to change it up. Like, I mean, because with the, that bad of a defense, and I mean, like I said, I didn't. I watched the last maybe five minutes of that. Well, maybe ten. Actually, probably like the last fourth quarter of that game, the Florida State Virginia game, and. It was just right. they had the. I mean, you, you know it more than anybody. They had the opportunities, but they just couldn't stop them. And then they gave them. They kept the door open for so long to where Virginia, of course, took advantage and then ended up. Being, but exactly, and and to me, you know, Taggart finally bringing on the guy he originally wanted from Oregon, which was who's led it. That that to me tells me that Taggart's starting to think long term, saying like I'm not going to stick with these. I'm not going to stick with this defensive staff because they're not, you know, delivering. You know, if Florida State had an average defense, if their defense was ranked, you know, 45th instead of 92nd, we'd be talking about Florida State being three and zero, and how Clemson and Florida would probably be our only losses. But instead, we're one and two, and our two losses are against solid teams who are currently ranked uh, top 20 right now. And people are freaking out, saying, like, Willie Taggart can't get the job done. It's like, I'm not looking at Willie Taggart right now. I'm looking at Harlan Barnett. I said this after the Boise State game, too. And uh, I might be repeating myself from the podcast from a couple weeks ago, but the point still stands. 
our defense just doesn't look functional out there. And I think a huge turnover on the defensive side of the ball needs to happen for this staff. Especially, we're 92nd. Like, Florida State's usually a top 20 defense at the worst. And we're 92nd right now. And it's just, it's just not good. And I, I think Jim Levitt being hired as an analyst kind of sends a message saying a change is coming soon. Yeah, so we'll have to keep that pinned. Who do you have this week? We have Louisville this week. Chips Louisville. Louisville. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Chips Louisville. Um, yeah, and, uh, that'll be interesting. It, it, uh, yeah, I saw y'all are actually favorites in that game. So, um, Yeah, I think we're – last I saw we were eight-point favorites. Uh, we're at home, and Louisville's just as much of a train wreck as we are, if not worse. So if we lose this game, that's kind of I, I, that would be the tipping point for me personally as far as Taggart goes. If we lose to Louisville at home when they're worse off than we are, I, I think we need to start making I'd a list for, for another ten years. <laughs> another ten years yeah, for him. Yeah, Taggart's our guy, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, we'll get John in here next week, and y'all can. Um... Speak more about – we'll have college football probably because we'll want to talk about the – I inevitably know the Tennessee-Florida game is going to be heartbreakingly close and we'll lose in just awful fashion and all the cousins will come back in here and we'll talk about that game and then y'all's game. and We'll talk mostly college football the next podcast. All right. Shifting gears because I do want to talk about the NFL just since we haven't at all. I mean, we did a preview, but – since we have more to talk about now, um, we're going to quickly, since we only have two people, we thought we were go- we would be able to go through all the divisions. Of course, we're not going to go in a huge discussion about the Bills or a huge discussion about the Bengals or, you know, teams like that. But we just want to go ahead. We want to try to, like, hit every team and go through each division and kind of talk about the big points that have stood out this season so far, two weeks through. And I feel... I feel like the season's been interesting so far and interesting in the how injuries have played a huge factor. And that obviously happens every year, but it's also in the teams that were supposed to make the playoffs and supposed to honestly contend for a um, Super Bowl. And with these, obviously these injuries to Roethlisberger and Drew Brees, it changes the whole dynamic of the league and who gets in and these sneaky teams like the bills and the, uh, 49ers, they're sitting at 2-0 and already with a decent slate coming up. You never know. They could fight for the wild card, sneak in over the Saints or the Steelers um, spot that was supposed to be theirs, and you never know what happens. So I always like parity in all sports. So even though the Patriots look like, I mean, they're the class of the NFL, which of course is good for me, it is fun to see new teams fight their way and get in to the playoffs on like a fluke way so to speak so in saying all that we'll go ahead and start with the afc east and i'll go ahead and just get off off my chest what i wanted to say last week i am saying this with a disclaimer and i'm going to rant for about hopefully about two minutes (laughs) hopefully not too much longer than that but i want to get this off my chest because i want to say it with as little bias and homerism as possible what we're seeing from this patriots team and of course we'll start with the new england patriots but what we're seeing with this patriots team 
is something that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Think about these weapons on this offense, and then Richard will get you to come in on the back end of this. But I would want to go ahead and just say my, say my piece and get, get, it, get it out of the way right at the top. This offense, with Tom Brady, of course, as quarterback, has one of the top five receivers in the NFL right now, has one of the top five at one point in his career receivers in the NFL with Josh Gordon. They have Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon. That is next to the, the most rely, one of the most reliable slot receivers in the whole NFL as well, Julian Edelman. Not to mention Philip Dorsett on the outside and in two weeks, Jimmy Watson coming back. This is the, one of the best receiving cores we've seen Tom Brady have at his disposal with James White, Rex Burkhead, and Sonny Michelle as the running backs in the backfield to also change the pace a little bit. We have not seen this good of an offense for Tom Brady since 2007 with Randy Moss and the undefeated season that was, of course, 18-1. and It's just it's unbelievable the weapons he has. And I want to also complement that with the defense. This is one of the best defenses the Patriots have seen in, under the Brady-Belichick era since probably the early years, like the 2 Oh four, oh five years when they won the Super Bowl in those three years when they had Ty Law, Teddy Bruschi, those guys, uh, Malloy, Lawyer Malloy, main staples like that. And the secondary now or now is Stephon Gilmore, one of the most, one of the best free agent signings the Patriots have had, and they pay, they finally paid a guy the big money, and it ended up working out for them, and it just hit on every aspect of it. He looks like he's a new cornerback this year. The McCourty bros, Jason and Devin, they look incredible in the secondary. Jason McCourty came from Tennessee, was kind of sketchy, and now he's a lockdown corner. They can play press and man press coverage into man coverage all the way out. Along with Patrick Chung also as safety, with Michael Bennett, who had double-digit sacks last year on the front line. It is just it's one of the best Patriots teams we've seen, and we're going to see it throughout the throughout the season this year. Unfortunately, you know, we've, we saw them shut down the Steelers. That was a huge shutdown. Like that really kind of like made you um, take note of them, but it was the Steelers in Gillette. So you never know. They never beat us in Gillette. And then they'll have, they had the Dolphins last week. That game doesn't count. The Jets week, this week doesn't count. Then they have the Bills, Redskins, Giants, Jets. So they're going to go, they're going to sit there and probably be seven and zero after the first seven games of the week. Then they have the Browns, Ravens, and Eagles. That will be the first test for this Patriots team. And it will really show what they have to show against other solid teams in the league. So, in conclusion, that is all I have to say about the Patriots, but I want to get that off my chest. Richard, how do you feel about, I guess they're, you don't even have to talk about the team itself, but like, what do you feel about this team or any of the AFC's teams in general? Well, I'll start on the Patriots as well. And, like, I'm not, like, a Tom Brady homer or fan, but I love watching Tom Brady play quarterback, even now. Like, except when (laughs) – the only time he looks 40 – what is he, 43 now? 42, 43? 42. 42. 42? The only time he looks 42 is when he starts to scramble. But when he sits there and has the time to throw it, he he still looks prime. Like the way he throws the ball. I mean, he he may not have the zip or the deep ball that he used to, but when when he's throwing those short to intermediate passes, where when you when you see a different angle to how he's throwing the ball, 
and you're just like, how the hell did he squeeze it in between, you know, that linebacker and safety to that tight end? How the hell did he hit Edelman on that little short three-yard out route with the corner sitting right there? He still has that. He still has it. So when you have a quarterback who can do that, and you pair him up with Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, to your point, as well as Edelman, like the defenses that the Patriots are going to play are going to be so focused on how to limit Tom Brady's uh, passing with these weapons that they're going to forget about White. They're going to forget about Burkhead. They're going to forget about Sony Michelle. And the next thing you know, like to your point, Patriots will run it right down your throat because they have the running backs to do that too. So they're loaded. It's, it's ridiculous how loaded they are. And I also want to touch on Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown for a second, where the, these, you know, two players post, uh, or sorry, pre Patriots were considered super prima donna or trouble players where, you know, why do these teams, you know, put up with this stuff with these guys? And it's like, well, because they had to, you know, they're their star player. Like if they're going to put up with this stuff, it's like, well, you know, we, we need the wins, we need the points and they deliver for us. And, you know, the, yeah, they, they're ridiculous and they have strange personalities, but they are who they are, but we're going to stick by them. Patriots are in a very unique position where they're like, look, you're a bunch of prima donnas or you have character issues. And if you show any signs of that, we have no problem cutting you because we already have success without you. So to me, it's like Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon are on this team thinking like, well, crap. I, I you know, What I'm thinking, this is my theory at least, is you have two guys who are ridiculously good, but for some reason, whenever these players like Randy Moss or whoever come to the Patriots who who have uh, interesting backgrounds, all of a sudden tone it down. It's it's to me, it's because Belichick and the administration just said, "Look, you got to tone it down, or we don't mind cutting you because we don't really need you. We would like to have you, but we don't really need you because we have number twelve. And I don't know if you heard, but number twelve is pretty damn good." <laughs> Exactly right. And that's the thing is like, even with all this stuff with Antonio Brown and like, I'm not going to get into the, you know, all that in general, because it's a whole different conversation. But if, you know, he was on the commissioner's exemplist and he did get like cut or something, I wasn't worried at all. Like, it's still like, they don't care if you're on the roster or not on the roster, they're still going to succeed and they're still going to win without you. And that was clearly the same with Josh Gordon last year that they won, it, they won the Super Bowl without him, and now he's just on the roster and he's just an added bonus. They don't care about your prima donna ways, like you were saying, and it's the Patriot way just to, um, what is it, ship shape and go along with what you're doing and what the team mentality is going forward. All right. right. We've got to stop this Patriot talk or else people, people probably already stopped <laughs> on the podcast, but I just really wanted to say that off the top that it's just a historic Patriots team that needed, everyone needs to watch. I do want to touch on the other three teams in the AFC East real quick. The Buffalo Bills, and I did say <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about them, but they are a sneaky, sneaky 2-0. Yes, they played the Giants, and then the, yes, they played the Jets. 
in those two games. But they have the Bengals next week, the Patriots, then at the Titans, then Dol- then the Dolphins. So that means they could start four and two on the season. That's all you need to start, you know, building confidence to do something and put yourself in playoff position. And Josh Allen, he already has over 500 yards passing in two different games, and or sorry, combined in two games. And I mean, that that's it's a sneaky, sneaky little team that I think could get, like I was saying off the top, the Steelers' um, open playoff spot right there. Um, the Dolphins, their tank job is incredible this year. But one little stat I wanted to say before we move on to the next division, their point differential after two games is negative 92. That's absurd. <laughs> and two games, negative 92. That's it's, so it's incredible. Their tanking it, efforts is, are just, they're, they're not even efforts. They're just, I mean, they, they traded Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, they're, Kenyon Drake wants to trade now. They benched uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick for Josh Rosen next week. I don't know what's going on. I guess we need to give a little shout out to the Jets. Darnold's out with mono. Trevor Simeon breaks his ankle. Luke Falk sucks. Um, they're a disaster once again. So I'll bring on John. And uh, <laughs> if he didn't have the LSAT, he would notice they're a disaster. He knows they're a disaster. But okay. just from our preview pod, he was so excited going into the season. And now it's pretty much already over. So and, sad, uh, sad days. Yeah. One quick thing about the Dolphins. I, I am more than convinced now that they saw the national championship with Trevor Lawrence tearing up Alabama and they were like, all right, how do we tank for the next two seasons to make sure that guy's our quarterback? I mean, there's, they have I to. mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they have like, there was a beat writer who wrote an article for the dolphins that said, you know, of the 53 man roster, like 30 of these guys probably wouldn't be on starting uh, like on a 53 man squad. Uh, roster they'd probably be like you know scout team players so it's just they're tanking hard and they're they're tanking well i guess if that's how you want to oh yeah (laughs) they're trying their hardest that's for sure it's uh it's embarrassing they're going to change the rules i I bet they're going to change to a draft lottery like the nba has if if they if the dolphins really do go all the way through go 0 and 16 and twice in a row or like you know 1 and 15 0 and 16 just for Trevor Lawrence. Hell, they might even try to get uh Tua or Jalen this year. Yeah. Moving on to the AFC North. I want to go ahead and start with the Baltimore Ravens and my man Lamar Jackson. Chips guy before, but now he's my guy because in every one I'm giving myself a pat on the back right here and every one of my fantasy leagues, I took him in about the 11th to 13th round. So I have Lamar Jackson as my QB1 until I just jinxed it. and I'll get hurt next week, but that's okay. Because to this point, he was my boy. He has 596 passing yards, 126 rushing yards. And in fantasy terms, that's going to be an incredible season. Mike Vick level season. And I'm very happy and give myself a pat on the back that I've selected him. And also... For the gamblers out there, if you would have taken my advice and joined me in taking over 15 and a half passing touchdowns for Lamar Jackson in the whole season, it is almost a guaranteed lock to this point because he has seven to this point in the season. And I don't know how, or I don't see him unless injury, barring injury, he does not get to that point. 
So, um, but again, we do want to say with the Ravens that they played the Dolphins and then the Cardinals. So they also have had a very, very easy schedule up to this point. This week is going to be a huge test. They go on the road to the Kansas City Chiefs. And the defense isn't that great for the Chiefs, as, as we saw uh, Garner Minshew kind of tear him up once Nick Foles got hurt. But then they have, but it'll be a good test for Lamar Jackson against not the Dolphins or the Cardinals. Um, then they have the Browns at home, Pittsburgh on the road, and Cincinnati at home. So they're going to go through that tough NF, or AFC North, um, phys- more physical games that we see from them. Um, with the Steelers, we'll go next to the Steelers. Like I said, Big Ben, he got hurt. Kind of, um, it was a, I don't know if you need to get Tommy John surgery, but it was an elbow injury, which is kind of weird because you never really see that with NFL players. And the throwing motions, you know, completely different than a baseball pitcher. But it looks like it was something around his um, elbow area. So maybe he needs Tommy John. I haven't followed up on that. But even with before that, they looked scared against the Pats. They always do in Foxborough, but they just looked scared and like they couldn't get anything going. They only scored three points. And then against the Seahawks, they kind of lost that game. They had it at home, even though Mason Rudolph was the person that came in and he's not going to do anything. But it's something just to note going forward. Um, do you think anything on the Ravens or Steelers? Yeah, with the Steelers, I thought it was interesting um, what they did with Mason Rudolph when he came into the game. Uh, they kind of they tried to give him easy throws, but um, the defense took those away, and they, so they ended up kind of opening up the playbook for him a little bit. They did a flea flicker and kind of like a playoff or I mean a play action rollout a, a few times, trying to get him moving out of the pocket and trying to get people open uh, like improvised routes instead of like actual routes. So I'm curious to see how the Steelers keep opening up the playbook for Mason Rudolph now that it looks like Big Ben won't be able to play much with that elbow. Yeah, and he was a gunslinger at Oklahoma State. So, I mean, I guess there's a chance for him. I feel super bad for Josh Dobbs. He was pretty much cut, then re-signed, then traded to the Jaguars after uh, Foles got hurt. But if he just stuck stuck on the roster just a little bit longer, Dobbs could have got a could have got the job um, over Mason Rudolph, but it looks like Mason Rudolph beat him out anyway in camp. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. I don't think that they're – I mean, they did just trade for Mika Fitzpatrick, and they gave up a first-round pick that might be a top-10 pick next year. I have no idea what they're doing with that. But Steelers just doing dumb things. But So switching to the Browns now, uh, I do want to bring them up just because of the – hype train they had going into the season. I mean, ESPN was just, I just, I'll keep it G rated. They were just loving them so much. And (laughs) it was just getting obnoxious, but then they come fall out flat out of the gate. They lose their home opener to the Tennessee Titans, And it was embarrassing fashion. They couldn't get anything going on offense in the first half. And then the Titans kind of just limped their way to a lead. No, I won't lie. The Titans played pretty well in that game. But then Baker had to try to start coming back and then threw three interceptions in the comeback effort. And it just goes to show you can't just throw free agents together, like expensive free agents that have been playing in the league for a while, and just think they're going to gel immediately. So we got to give the disclaimer to ESPN and say, hey, guys, take a couple steps back with this team. 
They, of course, got in their groove against the Jets last or Monday night. And then we'll get to see them again against Sunday night against the Rams. So it, it's, you know, it is what it is with this team. But I think they're going to be okay down the road. I just know it's going to take some time for these free agents to kind of get in the rhythm and go forward. And then for the Cincinnati Bengals, all I have to say is, nope, not going to talk about them. They're not that good. They don't even <laughs> need to uh, – <laughs> there's no point in me needing to be made. Transitioning now to the AFC South, this is a fun division. I think that there's a bunch of teams that don't know what the hell they're doing, and they're kind of just stumbling on each other, over each other, and then one of them is going to end up on top. And that happens, I feel like, every single year because the Titans, who we were just talking about, had a great, a great opening win against the Browns. Looked like, okay, they actually might be for real. What do the Titans do? They're the classic team that is the most inconsistent team that wins the games they're loses the games they're supposed to and wins the ones they're not. So what do they do? They go week two, come back home against a struggling Colts team who does not have Andrew Luck. They uh, they lost to the Chargers in heartbreaking fashion in overtime, and then they let them go into Nashville, Tennessee, and take the win. I don't understand what's the problem with this Titans team. It's hilarious because my buddies are Titans fans, and I have a group message with uh, all my like pledge class. They're all Titans fans. The currently the Titans game is going on right now, and they're losing fourteen nothing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who knows what happens? You'll probably already know the score when the um, when y'all listen to this, but. As of now, they're down 14 nothing, and they can't win the games they're supposed to, and it's always been a thorn in the side of the Titans. Now, I have a trivia fact for you, or a trivia question for you. The Colts and the Titans in the past decade, since 2009, have faced off 21 times. How many of those games do you think the Titans have won? Five. Even less than that. They've only won three out of 21 games and two of them, two of against the Colts, I should say against the Colts, two of them were in 2017. So they swept them one year and then they only won one game in 19 outside of 2017 in 10 years. I had to double check it because I did not think that was true, but they, the Colts completely own the Titans, no matter if it's in Nashville or no matter if it's in Indianapolis. And it's it's nuts to me. I looked at that because I knew I knew it was it had to be a long, long time. And I didn't realize it was that or not long, long, but I knew it was a huge discrepancy. I didn't know it was that wide of a discrepancy. It's just yeah. hilarious. We saw it again. Mariota is not going to make it happen. And then I know you have thoughts on Mariota, so I'll let you take it over for that. Well, I mean, What's there to say now? I mean, it's 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 a retread when it comes to Mariota. I mean, every exactly. time you think, yeah, every time you think like, oh, maybe he's you know turning the corner, it's it's you know two steps forward, four steps back. He all of a sudden he looks worse than a rookie. He looks like someone who's come out of high school trying to play in the NFL, and you, you hate it for him because he he's a hell of a talent, and you and you similar to Baker with. Cleveland Browns, you he's a likable guy and he has the talent to be successful and you want him to be successful. But then you watch him and you're just like the hell are you doing? Like how are you that bad? So I, he's 
I, I hate to call him a bust, but he, he's starting to. Uh, oh. Oh. You can easy, you can, you can freely call him a bust. He's trash. Yeah, yeah no, he he's just not good. He's yeah, not good. That's the thing, and they don't have a backup. Their backup's Ryan Tannehill, and I'm not gonna repeat what you just said, but I wholeheartedly agree with you. So, I mean, then the the, the the Colts, you think, oh, okay, so they they're one and one, they might take the division, and it's like. They're interesting, but they they have one of the best O lines in the league, but they don't have the talent around it to turn the corner. And Jacob, their defense is not good enough to lead Jacoby Brissett into like one of those defense leads the quarterbacks into a playoff spot or whatever we see time and time again from different teams. So then, oh, let's see who else we got because it's not going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars with Gardner Minshew. The everyone's Minshew mania is just driving me insane because he has a porn stash and he thinks he's frat. Like it's not, his stories are like hilarious to like frat dudes in like their twenties, which I mean, I was one of those at one time in my life, but I don't, I just think I'm just, the, the hype is just overblown with this kid. So I don't My like Gardner Minshew, brother. My yeah, Gardner Minshew. I hope he loses every game he starts and throws eight interceptions. Anyway, back to the Texans. They're the, they are the Jekyll and Hyde performance. We see it with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. You never know what you're going to get with this team. You have a great performance against the Saints and a losing effort in the Dome, which is a tough place to play, especially in the uh, home opener for the Saints. And then you go out, have your own home opener, and almost lose to the Jags in a game where you don't score more than 20 points. It's just – it's. And their defense doesn't show anything. J.J. Watt is on the defense, but does he, I don't think he impacts the game at all. So it's really, really hard to see and get a tail or get a tell on this division. And it's just, it's just weird. It's just a weird, weird division. At this point, who would you say would, would come out of this division on top? Personally, I, I would have to go with the Texans based solely on who they have at quarterback and his weapons. And, I mean, because you, you look at Jacksonville, they're they're kind of a mess with Malone seeming to just, you know, go self-destruct on the sideline to half his team this past weekend. Oh, and made did you mention that? You're right. Yeah, J- and now Jalen's Jalen looking to leave. To, yeah, yeah Jalen wants to trade now. And, it's, and, and you watch that video, and Malone walks up to the bench, says something to Jalen's face, and the two – Guys sitting next to him on the bench stand both stand up immediately and like shove him away. Saying, and it looks like he said something like really not okay. And I hope it's not the word people think it would be, but he said something bad within you know 12 hours. Jalen Ramsey's sitting here saying, I want to trade. So it's like Jaguars are kind of a, a mess. Uh, it's just Indianapolis, you know, they're they're a mess, Titans are a mess. That's the thing. Texas. Just think about the quarterbacks in the AFC South. You got Deshaun Watson, then you got Marcus Mariota, then you got Jacoby Brissett and Garner Minshew. Woof. <laughs> like, who, who, you gonna, who are you going to take out of those four? I mean, it's yeah, pretty so obvious. It's, it's the obvious <laughs> choice. I agree with it's you the only, in the same reasons you the said. Only, yeah, the, the only mess in Houston right now is that offensive line. It's the only mess. That's the like, thing. The, so it's like, I, that's solid. So, if if Indianapolis could somehow straighten it out and just have a great running attack, they might have a chance. I don't give the Titans any credit at all, especially after hearing and reading some of these texts about tonight's performance. They just look awful. So we'll see. 
for the AFC West, it's the Chiefs again, the Chiefs show, Patrick Mahomes once again putting on. I mean, he's going to get an incredible contract, and he's going to deserve it too. He already has over 800 yards passing for the season in two games. Uh, with Tyreek Hill going out early in the first game, and the karma gods kind of helped out on that one. And so if the league, league didn't suspend him, the karma <laughs> gods will suspend him six to eight weeks. So that it does look like a like we said, Patriots Chiefs AFC Championship. The only thing to kind of keep an eye on is their defense still has huge, huge holes. They played the Jags in that game I was talking about with Gardner Minshew's first game, and he kind of wasn't terrible passing against the Jags. They were, or sorry, passing against the Chiefs. The Chiefs were already up like uh, two or three touchdowns, so that probably has a huge factor. But it's something to look at. Um, and again, what I was saying about the Ravens, this is a huge game for both teams. The Ravens could do some damage to this defense, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. And if the Ravens win this one, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I'm all on the Ravens bandwagon, but the Lions plus seven, and that's very, very tasty to take the Baltimore Ravens plus seven. Might not be my best bet, but we'll see um, what that's, that game has in store for both teams when they Will, which will be their first premier game of the season with the two teams not playing good opponents the first two weeks. The Chargers are back. The Chargers are absolutely back. They are missing field goals. They're getting touchdowns called back by dumb calls or by dumb penalties. And their coach is terrible and having dumb play calls. They're all the way back, baby. It is so, so funny to see all this stuff in the retread. Over and over again. I mean, they did get a win against um, the Colts in week one. But the just everything that went wrong in that Lions game could have gone wrong for them, and they lost to the freaking Detroit Lions. But I, for the Chargers, I do want to bring up and have a little short discussion on something because we are kind of running <laughs> long as is, as is tradition, and we haven't even got to the NFC yet. We'll fly through the NFC. But – the Melvin Gordon discussion, and I know you have thoughts because he was your keeper and he was not able to be your keeper because he's a crybaby and sat out and is holding out for money. This is so interesting because he's holding out. He's trying to do the Le'Veon Bell. He's not playing. But the Chargers are just laughing in his face because Austin Eckler is perfectly fine and is perfectly capable of being a great NFL running back with Justin Jackson, who's also a good talent that we saw last year, behind him as RB2. What are your thoughts about not not even just Melvin Gordon, but this whole interesting situation of Melvin Gordon being like, I'm not playing, but the Chargers are like, that's perfectly fine. This the running back pretty much cycle in the league means anyone can replace you at any given time. Well, I I, I think it's a pie in the face to Melvin Gordon because here you are thinking, you know, I'm hot doo doo. For all the G-rated fans out there, um, and so you're like, I deserve more money. So until I get that money, I'm not playing. And then the organization's like, Fine, we kind of like the guy behind you anyway. So let's see what he can do. Next thing you know, you're sitting on a couch while another guy is putting up pretty much the same exact numbers as you were, which n- not only kills your uh, net worth, it's just kind of like. Yeah, you're a hell of a player, and people, someone else is going to sign you. But you're not doing yourselves any you're not doing yourself any favors by sitting out these games, crying about needing more money. To me personally, because it's it's a pie in the face to him. 
That, and that's the best way. I can yeah, do it. and that's Perfect. exactly. And it's just, I mean, it will see. It'll be very interesting down the road what this means for different running backs trying to hold out and trying to ask for money. When we're just finding out that running backs are disposable, they're replaceable, and they don't really affect. I mean, they affect, of course, the game, but it's becoming a spread pass heavy offense. And so it's like, exactly. Other than, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott got his money, got a great running back deal, but like, I just don't know if it's if we're going to see m- many more of those in the future. I, I don't think we will. I, I think this is becoming a, you know, like a 55-45 pass league now, if not 60-40. And um, y- you're going to ask, you know, those three down backs to become more prevalent in this league because they can do all of it. They can take a handoff and run for 20 yards, or they can, you know, run a five-yard route and then catch the ball and run for 20 yards. So I, I think running backs sitting out thinking they deserve more money are playing more risk than reward. For sure. All right. Is that, I think that's about all for the AFC. Oh, no, we had two more teams. Um, well, it's just the Ra- Raiders and Broncos. Not much to say about either of those teams. Um, I wish Vic Fangio got the win against the Bears, but they kind of pulled that one off in a game-winning field goal. So we'll go ahead and switch to the NFC. Again, we'll try to go a little bit quicker in the NFC and have you talk a little about the NFC South with your Bucks leading it. Um, we'll go ahead and just start there then. The NFC South, we had the all the teams are one and well, no, the Panthers are owned two. All the other teams are one and one. The Bucks are leading the division. The Saints now not looking like they're going to just dominate the division and with the Breeze injury and the Falcons being really black and white from week one to week two. Sunday night, they look great. Week one against the Vikings, they look miserable. Go ahead and let us know how you're feeling about the Bucks. Jameis, I mean, he looked – he threw the worst – the two worst pick sixes I think I've ever seen him in my life and then turns around and I wouldn't say plays – Great, but manages the game well enough to go down to Carolina and take a win from the Panthers. So, what what are your thoughts so far with the South NFC South? Well, yeah, I'll I'll start with the Bucks and the defense first of all. And we we brought in Ted Bowles. Well, we hired Bruce Arians, and then he he brought in uh, Bowles for the defensive coordinator. And our defense is playing, you know, night and day better than last year. Last year we were literally outside the bell curve on, you know, average stats for how a defense should be playing. And now we are, you know, looking, we look aggressive. We're we're taking away the the run. We're daring teams to beat us with hard uh, passes over the middle and on the sidelines. Things that, you know, you you want to do as a defense. It's kind of like a boom or bust. Like we're either going to shut you down or you're going to beat us with a big play. Uh, and, and I love that style of defense because, you know, it, it's effective. And on the other side of the ball, you know, San Francisco might have been the worst game I've seen Jameis play since his debut against the Titans. When you throw a pick six when it's a screen, that that's a big issue. And it's it's forgivable if you're a rookie quarterback. It's not forgivable if you're in your fifth year on your one-year option 
in your contract trying to play for another contract. <laughs> and it was awesome. Exactly. That, that, no, that, that, that San Francisco game was just not good for Jameis. And it was one of those that's just like, if this is how he's going to play for 15 more games, I don't see how we resign him. But then he goes and, you know, like, like you said, managed the game pretty well against Carolina. And they have a pretty stingy defense with Keekley and, and company. And he did a good job of well, – well, first of all, we, we did a good job of establishing the run. And then off that run, we, we let Jameis do what he does best, which is those intermediate – uh, short to intermediate passes that uh, off of play action. Uh, he, he's very good at those, but when the play action isn't working and Jameis gets flustered, that's when you start seeing Jameis be college Jameis, where he just kind of launches it into double coverage to see what happens. But he he did he had a lot of good throws against Carolina, and if he if it, yeah, it's just the same thing over and over with him. If he can just learn how to be a manager and let the defense can control the other side of the ball um, as Tampa Bay's defense kind of control the game from their side of the ball. I, I I like our chances to be, you know, fighting for a wild card spot. But if Jameis is going to keep being, you know, game one, Jameis, I don't see how we win more than four games. The NFC South is wide open. Cam looks like he's not sure if he's going to play each week, you know, he's like in and out. He's not sure if he has it. I think he'll probably sit out a few games this season. The Falcons, like I said, in the Dome, they're great. And they're, you know, at the Dirty Dome in Atlanta, they're great. But they're not good on the road. And they're, I mean, kind of like the Texans Jekyll and Hyde type team. And then the Saints, we're not sure where they're going to be in six weeks. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Saints because – it's crazy that – I mean, quickly about this, because I was going to talk about this, but I'll just skip it now. <laughs> Their game against the Rams and how they still got a call. The refs still got a call wrong. <laughs> they should have had a touchdown. <laughs> but the fumble recovery that was blown back. I won't get into it, but it's just worth noting. Hilarious. But, it's a conspiracy, so, man. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, gosh. I'm not going to go that far. But it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's but, hilarious. yeah, so Breeze hurt his thumb on a helmet of – one of the D linemen of the Rams. And now he's out for six weeks. So it was a huge hit for a team trying to make things right this year. They're trying to, you know, finally make it to the Super Bowl. So we, we want to see they're one and one right now. So let's go ahead and look at the six weeks that he's hypothetically going to be out and maybe a couple more. They're going this week. They're at Seattle. I would say that's, that's probably a loss. Seattle looked pretty good. Then they're home against Dallas. Huge game. Dallas looks on fire right now. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, home against Tampa Bay. That's up in the air. Depends on, like we said, what Jameis is. At Jacksonville, that should be a win. At Chicago, not a guarantee win. And home against Arizona. I only see two wins for sure in that. And if they go three and three in those three in those six games, they're going to go four and four to start the year. And that's with the, the Bucks and Falcons, you know, hypothetically going to go four and two in that stretch. So it really is crunch time for, it's going to be crunch time for the saints to see if they Teddy Bridgewater can do what it can do what it takes to keep this team afloat because probably more than any other team, like more than the Falcons, the saints play and need like desperately, desperately vitally need their home field advantage for the playoffs. They're a different team without it. 
And so if they go in the playoffs, like the five seed or the four seed or something, and that's just not going to cut it if they don't have a home field advantage in the conference championship or the conference semifinals or something like that. So the South South is going to be quite, quite interesting um, down the stretch. I think it's going to be kind of like the AFC South now that like the, the top team not got knocked off and they're not really sure who's going to take it. So there's going to be a lot of mediocre teams fighting it out. But if the saints can just stay afloat or if another one of these teams can just take it, it's, it'll be very, uh, very fun to watch this down the stretch. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see one, how Carolina handles the Cam Newton situation as far as he doesn't look hundred percent. And then, to your point with uh, the Saints, like they were easily the favorites for the South because you have Drew Brees and all the weapons they have on offense. And now all of a sudden you take, you know, arguably the second or third best quarterback out of the league because of a hand injury. And there goes half the season for them. Turning the page over to the NFC East, we'll go up there for this one. Um, quickly going through the Giants and Redskins, there's not much to say. They're both not very good this year. Uh, Daniel Jones' era, we found out, is going to start this way this week. Why they waited so long, I am sure. It's going to be very similar to the Tyrod Taylor situation in Cleveland that they hit him week one for whatever reason, and then Baker Mayfield took over. I don't know why they did it. I mean, I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to be like Baker Mayfield, but I just don't understand why you start an aging veteran when you drafted a quarterback in the first round. Anyway, more than I wanted to spend on the Giants and the Redskins. I do want to talk about the Cowboys, and I do want to talk about the Eagles. So starting with the Cowboys, Kellen Moore, their offensive coordinator, has completely changed and revitalized this offense. Their offense is humming this year. It looks very, very impressive. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to also see it against good teams. So we do need to pump the brakes just a tad about this 2-0 start. Going to be 3-0 after this week. They have only played the Giants and the Redskins. And this week they have the Dolphins. They're 20.5-point favorites against the Dolphins. They're going to get this win. And if they don't, then they have major problems. <laughs> but they're going to be 3-0. And, of course, America's team, Cowboys, blah, 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 they're going to start getting the media love that they always have. Dak Prescott is earning this money. Like, he probably will get... 30 million a year, maybe even 35 um, from Jerry Jones. If the, well, first of all, if he can afford it, because he's paid um, uh, Zeke. And so we'll see. But I just really, really like the offense going for this Cowboys team. They had, uh, they'll have good games against the Saints and uh, Packers the week after this Dolphins game. And so that's where we're really going to see him shine. And then after that is when we really can gauge this team and see how good they are and then kind of switching to the eagles their division rival division competitor this week or sorry this uh in their this division i have to say that i do have eagles bias i picked them to win the division or and then i picked the pats eagles uh future prediction super bowl um at a very good odds as well so i would like the eagles to go to the super bowl again against the patriots but that's only for my financial benefit at like plus 2700 odds they looked good against the skins after like they kind of struggled getting it going and then they looked great again if the Redskins don't take much from that and then we saw that the Carson Wentz lost all of his targets in that Sunday night game in Atlanta Falcons went on to win that game Eagles kind of dropped the 
literally and figuratively dropped it down the stretch when Nelson Aguilar, all he had to do was catch that ball. I don't know if you saw that, but all he had to do was catch that ball, and he was into the end zone. They still have the best roster talent, I think, in the NFC, in the NFC on paper. It is just all about executing it. And so, you know, it doesn't really mean much to have the best talent on paper if you can't do anything with it. C, i.e., the Browns. But it'll be one of the best division races in the league. I think both teams will make the playoffs just in a wild card, um, wild card and division. So we'll see. They have, they're at the Packers in two weeks, and the Eagles are at the Packers in two weeks. And we'll also get to see their true colors in that game. Have anything to say about those two teams before we go to the NFC North? Uh, nah. No, I don't. <laughs> Just, on. That works. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, switching kind of to the NFC North, this is going to be the three-team race that will looks like it's going to be between the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. We knew that coming into the season, but now we kind of see something different with the Packers beating, drubbing, well, beating the Vikings, and drubbing the Vikings in the first half, and then for whatever reason, they just took the their foot off the gas and kind of coaxed into the win um, in the second half, not doing much, but the offense looked great in the first half. And they also looked, well, it didn't look, the offense didn't look great, but they won the game against the bears in the um, season opener. But the one thing about the Packers that I do want to mention, and we can go on to the other two teams is their defense is stepping up in a, in a huge way. Their defense is DVOA so far is, uh, Third in the league. It's hard to take DVOA this early in the season, so kind of take that with a grain of salt. But they're third in the league with defensive DVOA. And with a top 10 defense, the last time Rogers had a, Aaron Rodgers had a top 10 defense, they went to the Super Bowl. So in that, I guess, vein, look for the defense if they continue at this mark to carry the Packers into a long playoff berth or a long playoff run because – if you give Rodgers, Rodgers is going to be Rodgers. It's just on the other side of the ball if he needs to help them out um, more than he, they can play for. And so now it's with the defense there, they're going to be a damn good team down the stretch. With the Vikings, uh, Dalvin looks incredible. He, I'll let you talk a little bit more about Dalvin, but um, the biggest issue is Kirk Cousins. It's going to be Kirk Cousins. <laughs> There's no way around it. He doesn't have the smarts to not make mistakes. The defense and the rushing game is going to have to carry him. Is this the Dalvin Cook that you've been waiting for? Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll stay healthy. But he looks like, I mean, pure form Dalvin Cook right now. He like when I see highlights on you know the red zone or NFL Network of like, oh, here's a run by Dalvin Cook, you know, sixty-five yard touchdown, and all he does is just burst through a hole make one move on a linebacker or safety, get to the sideline and take off. That That's the Dalvin Cook that we saw at Florida State. Like, all he needs to do is get to the second level, make one guy miss, and he's gone. He has – he and he's, you know, quietly a powerful guy too. It, ta- it takes a lot to bring him down. Uh, well, at least in college. I'm not so sure about the uh, NFL because I haven't watched too many Vikings games. But – He's sneaky powerful, too, so it's going to take a strong tackle to get him to the ground. But, man, when he's in the open field and he gets to top speed, I don't think there's a defensive player in the league that could chase him down. It's Whenever I see those highlights, I get flashbacks to when Florida State was actually a 10-win team. 
and I miss it. Yeah. Miss me <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a roundabout way. But, um, yeah, yeah, for the Vikings, another thing that's going to be very important for them is their um, – they need hopeful advantage. They're much like the Falcons, and the, uh, their home and away splits are pretty stark. And they'll they'll be a very important. Wanted to go to the Bears now. Mitch Trubisky has been awful this season, and he's finally showing his true colors. I want Charles. I wish Charles would come in here and just call him for three seconds to <laughs> stock up Mitch Trubisky. But the coaching staff really shows or seems like and is showing that they have zero faith. And him in the play halls they make, it's very conservative. You saw they only score three points in the season opener. And then they didn't even look that good against the Broncos, who have a good defense. But yet, still, they won the game, but they were kind of given the game in the very last minute. And um, Trubisky just didn't have it most of the game. The defense is going to be there. Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack. You know, they very easily could be two, or, or, sorry, oh and two. And Trubisky is going to have to pull something out if they expect to go to the playoffs at all. I don't think they're going to go to the playoffs because I don't know if the NFC North will take two teams. I think either the Packers or Vikings will take, obviously will take one of the spots. And I don't know if they're going to have a second one because of the division we're about to talk about in the NFC West. They have three, two and O teams. Who would have thought that going into the coming into the season that the NFC West was going to be our best division two games into the season. The Rams, of course, they who they were who we thought they were, and they're coming off and picked up right where they left off in the <laughs> NFC. Balance, they have a balanced rushing attack. Sorry, fantasy owners, it's not all Todd Gurley this year, but it's going to help them save down the stretch, um, save him for down the stretch um, when they need it the most. Their defense was kind of sketchy in the Panthers game, but again, the Panthers are a strange team to gauge. So we'll see about that. They rebounded very nicely against the Saints. Their next game is against at the Browns. So that's going to be a very fun uh, primetime game, like I was saying earlier. And now the other 2-0 team, or the one of the other 2-0 teams, the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers. Kind of how we mentioned it. It's a nice little bookend for the uh, 49ers. They're 2-0, and they're a sneaky 2-0. Jimmy GQ leading the charge, as always. They've only beat temp- Tampa Bay and Cincinnati, so be careful crowning them as champs. Their next games is uh, are are Pittsburgh, a home for Pittsburgh, home for Cleveland, at the Rams, and at Washington. So even if you can go 2-2 two and two in those games, maybe even 3-1 and one if you could pull one out at home against the Browns and then just lose the one in, at, at the Rams, the Niners could be 5-1 and one after six games, and that would be very impressive, and it would be fun to watch. They have every running back in the book getting carries for them. It's crazy how deep they're running back running backs are with Tevin Coleman and Jerk McKinnon both hurt. They're having like Wilson Jr., Raheem uh, Monsart. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And then they have another guy. It's crazy. And then the Seattle Seahawks, or yeah, Seattle Seahawks, they're also 2-0. They had a very impressive win last week at in Pittsburgh on the road against the Steelers, even though Big Ben got hurt. It was still an impressive game. Um, and then they had a home win against the Bengals, which is what it is. But they have a balanced attack. Russell Wilson only throwing what he needs to, and that's really where the Seahawks are the best. They have that good, strong defense. Pete Carroll will make them have a good defense, or I guess a a good enough defense. And then the running game also can carry them. But Russell Wilson only throwing when he needs to is the best situation for that team. Uh, their first game, he didn't throw much at all, and it was pouring down rain as well. But then, in, like we saw last week, he aired it out when he needed to. And so some of the receivers had good games in that. 
but they'll be there forever or they'll be there challenging pretty much forever for the whole season. They're always there every single year and it'll be nice to see which team can stay there. If the 49ers can are for real, I don't think they probably are, but it's a fun story at this point. Then they could take the saints uh, playoff spot. As I was saying earlier, concluding really quick and I'll throw it to you. If you have any NFC West thoughts, the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury hasn't really done much this year. I don't know what he was doing last week. He uh, took three field goals inside the five-yard line. That was the first time in NFL history that's ever happened. Uh, or sorry, not against the Lions, but against the Ravens. Um, they took a tie against the Lions. And so it's – and he got gifted that game. We could have gone into that, but we don't have enough time. The Ravens game, he could have taken advantage of and honestly challenged the Ravens to actually win. But the team didn't get it done. And so they're 0-1-1. And that is the whole NFL. I think we wrapped it up and took care of it all after two weeks. Do you have any concluding thoughts about the NFC West or about the league at whole before we wrap it up? Uh, two quick thoughts. I'm, I'm going to start with the Cardinals real quick and with Kyler Murray. Uh, th- this is for Charles. He's so little because <laughs> <laughs> like when they, when on week one, when they showed the Cardinals, on red zone and i think they were like they they just took the ball over inside the five yard line and there's kyler murray looking like an eighth grader standing in his own end zone and just like how can you look at that guy's stature and be like yeah he's he's a he's our first round draft pick like not to say he's a bad player but like he just looks so small out there and uh, but he still he he has the arm he he's made some throws that make you go okay well maybe he can be successful out here. Uh, my second thought is uh, my heart goes out to Philip Rivers. He is in a constant state of purgatory of having 120 seconds left to either win or tie the game with no timeouts left, only to you know come up 10 to 20 yards short every single time. So, I mean, at some point you just have to, like, you know, kill a goat or something if you're Phillip Rivers, right? Because, I mean, he just constantly comes up just short, and it's so weird. Yeah, it's tough. Like I said, the Chargers are back, and it's so funny because they they somehow find a way to lose every single game. I just feel bad for Phillip Rivers because, well, he might not be a good guy, but he looks like a good guy. He seems like a good guy, (laughs) (laughs) and it it just kind of it hurts, but. Well, hey, he said hi to those nuns last weekend, so he's got to be a good guy, right? That's right, yeah. (laughs) It's pretty much he has to be that. (laughs) So that concludes this episode of the Way Too Loud podcast. We uh, gave it a good run. I feel like that's a good way to do it, just kind of talk about all the teams. Eventually, all the teams will kind of separate itself. So, I mean, we don't have to run through the awful teams after like four weeks when we just know they're not worth talking about. But uh, I like to talk about kind of the – hits of the week and everything and um especially with two people it's much easier with five people of course we wouldn't be able to do that but next week we will probably do college football we'll see what happens in sports um and then we'll go from there we will not we will do best bets on our twitter feed and not do best bets in this segment because it's only richard and i and with five people doing it or five people's picks being um, given on Twitter. We can just do it through Twitter. Real quick, I uh, I got my second win on Best Bets last week. Ohio That's State very true. Crap out of whoever they played. But, yeah, I'm 
I'm trending up, baby. Trending up. I know. I'm doing awful. I'm, I'm trading, trending down. I haven't won once. I'm oh two and one. I believe it's it's not good, but I think I can I can win this week. But we shall see. All right. This has been your host, Jack Noonan. You can follow me at Twitter, at jnoonan1307, Celtics blog, Grizzly Bear Blues, you know the drill. This has been Richard Powell. You can follow me on Twitter, at rapowell90. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next week.